Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And tonight, we have a very special panel consisting of Jay Bonansinga. Did I pronounce that right? Ah, that was beautiful. Better than <laughs> my grandmother. <laughs> we got Mark Simon and Neil Cohen. Guys, thank you so much for joining me tonight. How uh, how are you all doing? Doing well. Oh, doing great. I'm doing great. This was uh, This is exciting. It is. It is exciting. And we're going to have some fun over the next hour. Now, you guys have all done different works. Uh, you're published. You work in different fields. But there's at least one thing that all three of you have in common. And that is your guys' uh, work has involved The Walking Dead in one way oh. or another. I now, thought you were going to say we're all old white guys. <laughs> <laughs> now, I actually want to start off with Mark. Now, Mark, uh, you do storyboarding. Before we get into that, can you just explain to our audience what storyboarding is and why is it so important? Sure, and thanks for having me on. This is great. Uh, so storyboarding is, I look at it kind of like if you're going to build a house, you need blueprints so that everyone knows what house and what the house is supposed to look like and how many rooms and all that kind of stuff. Well, the storyboards are the blueprint of the director's vision that all people on the set need to refer to, so we're all working towards one vision. Because if you read a script and I read a script, we have different images in our head. Exactly. But only the director's image matters. So I dig into the director's head, and I swim around in there, and I draw everything that I see. And then that gets distributed to all the crew heads so that they can do all the budgeting and planning to make sure everyone gets everything done in enough time. Because there are times that some big uh, stunt or special effect, what's on the page is not nearly as big as what's in the director's head. Yeah. So they can't budget and plan for it until they can see the visuals of the director's vision. And that's where I come in. Okay, so you work with the director and I assume the director of photography as well. Quite often, especially on the Walking Dead shows, uh, the, the DP or director of photography is usually in there. And sometimes someone from effects or stunts will come in, but generally it's just going to be the, uh, the director and the DP and I. Now, uh, in today's world, the year 2021, I'm assuming this is all done via computer graphics or is it done the old school way of actually drawing it? It, it's a mix. I mean, I'm drawing everything by hand, uh, and it'll always be that way because computers can't work as fast as we can uh, by hand, but I'm drawing directly into the computer. Wow. I'm drawing on a Wacom Cintiq, the monitor, the one I'm actually looking at right now, that the video's on it, and I draw right on the screen. Now, you are currently working on Fear the Walking Dead. Is that accurate? I am indeed. I start Tuesday on the next episode, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I have been given a preview uh, by the good folks at AMC of the first two episodes of Fear, which is phenomenal. I'm not allowed. To, we're not allowed to talk about it, obviously. It, but um, yeah, they're big. Yeah, it's an it's an amazing start to the season, and uh, you know, good friend Michael Satrazimus, uh directed both those episodes. So you yeah. you and Michael work together. Have worked together often. Yeah, on, on a number of things. I, I met Mikey on the original Walking Dead series. Mm -hmm. He uh, he started as a DP on the original, uh, or director of photography. Actually, actually camera, he actually started as a camera operator. Yeah, camera operator on the pilot mm -hmm. of The Walking Dead. 
and then worked his way up to DP and then worked his way into directing and now uh, producing. And so I worked with him when he was directing on the original show. And then he brought me in to Fear the Walking Dead. Wow, that's awesome. Now, uh, Jay, let's get over to you. Uh, you have written a ton of books. Uh, one, I believe, is called uh, The Road to Woodbury and The Rise of the Governor. Tell us a little bit about them. Well, The Rise of the Governor is the book I'm most proud of because it was the beginning of my uh, apprenticeship <laughs> in in the zombie apocalypse with Robert Kirkman. And uh, it was an amazing experience. I just, I felt like I was working my whole career up to this point. Uh, I had worked with George Romero. I, I love zombies. I you know, I, I I had written, you know, 10 books, mostly horror. I felt like I was really, you know, apprenticing to get to this point. And then Robert Kirkman, he didn't know me from Adam. But, you know, I think I think my agent got me the job because of the Romero connection. Mm -hmm. but, but Kirkman in the beginning said, why don't you write 50 pages, follow my outline and, and we'll see the chunk. We'll, we'll look at your chunk. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And so I wrote 50 pages, and he he looks at the 50 pages, and he has one change, <laughs> which was he goes, uh, this that dude cannot have a tattoo because he, he's seeing naked from the waist up in the comic book and issue you know 13, frame 127. That and is I'm, so cool. Is that it? <laughs> out of 50 I, pages, goes, one change. That's not right. bad. And then, and then he says, um, why don't you give me 100-page chunks? And I, I, then I knew that this was going to work. This was a, 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 the beginning of a beautiful friendship, <laughs> you know, because I gave him another 100-page chunk, and, and he's just like, why don't you just go ahead and finish the book? And, you know, he, he, he learned to trust me enough to, after the first four books, which pretty, pretty much followed the comic, uh, the comic was sort of our Rosetta Stone, but after the first four, the final one was called The Fall of the Governor, Part Two, and it was sort of the end of the governor's involvement in, in the novels and in the show. Mm -hmm. and, and so then he said, people are going to just wonder about whatever happened to Woodbury. And so that became my, my charge. And, I, and he goes, you, you can come up with the stories. I'm not even going to put my name on the cover of the book anymore. You know, you just write the I had a contract for four more books and it was pretty much what happens in Woodbury, you wow. know, after the governor's tenure. And, so that, was a, and that's entirely your vision. Well, it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was the most amazing experience I've ever had as a writer because some of the work that I did became canon, you know, and some of the characters that I came up with in in the post governor woodbury saga you know ended up in video games you know they ended up in in as canon in the walking dead ecosystem so i i am so proud of that and, I, and i'm so fortunate that i you know absolutely wedged myself into that job <laughs> and you got to work with robert kirkman and i mean yeah. that's just phenomenal so neil uh me and neil have met several times now at conventions it's good to see you again neil so good to see you. 
Uh, you have written a series of books about The Walking Dead, the zombie apocalypse, and entrepreneurship. Now, for a lot of people, that's going to sound like a what part of this doesn't fit kind of a puzzle. And it's the entrepreneurship part. So explain to us exactly what your books are about. Well, when I, and it's funny because one thing about everybody on this panel is we're all fans. We're all fans of The Walking Dead. And I was a fan of The Walking Dead before I wrote anything. And I remember going to um, Walking Dead cons and uh, stalking Jay Bonasinga. And I remember standing in line waiting to get him to sign a book before I'd done anything. I was a fan. Um, I had an idea of the type of zombie apocalypse that I thought was realistic, I, that I thought was uh, where I always was worried when I saw these zombie apocalypse movies that there would be the uh, eve, the fall, as they call it, the uh, eve of the zombie apocalypse. And then it jumps a year later and there's no one left except for, you know, cannibalistic strongmen psychos or ninja uh, sword-wielding uh, uh, zombie killers. I said, what, what happened to everybody else? Did we all just die out? Were we all gone in a year? And so in my series, uh, we don't. Uh, life goes on. Uh, the zombie apocalypse comes. Um, the country doesn't fall. The government doesn't fall. We just kind of like COVID, like terrorism, we set new bureaucracies in place. We set new ways that we live our lives. Technology uh, is put to use. And, uh, and we go through life with just one more thing that could kill you, zombies. And uh, so I wrote the trilogy. And in my uh, third book, uh, I actually have the first presidential election post-zombie apocalypse. And uh, so it was uh, very uh, reminiscent of 2020, where we had a pandemic and a uh, presidential election. So after going around and selling these books at the different cons and book shows, I would meet other fans, other zombie walking dead, uh, apocalyptic fans who were crafters, who were bakers, who were tour guides of where they filmed the different locations. And they all shared this passion for the walking dead and they wanted to get into a business that allowed them to be more part of the Walking Dead universe. They wanted to be more than a fan. They wanted to come to these conferences and they would ask me, how did you get on that other side of the booth? I'm walking around here like a fan and I'm meeting stars and I'm, I'm buying memorabilia, but how do I become on the other side and in the business of the Walking Dead? And I just had so many people come to me. I thought, well, that was kind of my real world. I'm a business development guy. I got my MBA in business. And I, when I did get my MBA, everybody said, well, Neil, when are you going to become an entrepreneur? And I said, well, when I find my passion, and it took me 12 years, but I found my passion, zombies. And uh, I really realized that I wrote the books not so much to be an author, but I wanted to be part of this universe. I wanted to be in this world, and I contributed what I thought I could, and that was, I gave the impetus of Business is Dead, Resurrecting Entrepreneurship, about entrepreneurs who launched their business based on fandom of The Walking Dead. So that's a uh, sort of a how-to nonfiction type of book. Is that how you would categorize it? It is. I give case studies of uh, just over a dozen people 
who uh, some of which were serial entrepreneurs before that, some of which had a high school degree and never thought of starting a business, but came up with an idea and said, you know what? I am a fan of The Walking Dead. I want to communicate with other fans. I want to be part of this community. And some of them um, launched, like I said, bakeries. They started baking very cool uh, cakes relevant uh, to The Walking Dead and bringing them to the cons. And then they got hired by the cons and said, we want you to bake a cake for this celebrity, Walking Dead, that celebrity. Next thing you know, they launched a bakery based on The Walking Dead. Um, one of the most interesting stories was a guy who was an auto mechanic and he got laid off. And instead of just sitting around waiting for someone to give him another job, he went to uh, some of the horror cons and looked at the props, the, the zombie arms, the, the heads, and said to some people, you know, where do you get this? And they said, oh, we buy it online. You know, it's expensive. He looked it up. He said, I can build this. He started building it in his garage. He started bringing it around to local haunted houses the following Halloween. They said, well, buy it off you. He put it on Facebook. Look at this arm I built in my garage. It looks like a zombie's arm. And next thing you know, he's getting orders online. And then he started getting a commercial business and he opened up a business. He was not an MBA. He was not even a college graduate. He was yeah. a high school guy who was a huge fan of The Walking Dead and found his niche. Okay. Now, Jay and Mark uh, obviously have ties with AMC. Jay has worked with uh, Robert Kirkman. Mark works with AMC and the storyboarding. Do you have any uh, official working relationship with AMC or The Walking Dead? No. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that leads me. Recognized. <laughs> well, that leads me to my next question. Um, now. Did AMC at least give their blessing? Do you, do you directly use the name The Walking Dead in your books? Have you uh, thought about any lashback or possible fallout from that? Oh, sure. But uh, listen, The Walking Dead is a uh, public domain. I talk about it. I don't I'm not using anything uh, that's uh, copyright or proprietary. I'm talking about the show and the fandom of the show, uh, what I call fantrepreneurs. Um, but uh, if AMC does want to come after me, they know how to find me. <laughs> they haven't yet. The book's been out for about a year now, um, doing quite well. So um but I hey, listen. Maybe they would like to buy me. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. Yeah. Now, Neil, is it true that you also have spoken with President Biden about the book Zombie Democracy? I did. So um, I actually was at an event, and he was there. And uh, like any self-promoting author, I always carry around my books in case I meet someone famous. <laughs> and uh, so I walked up to him it, it was after the event now he wasn't president at the point uh, otherwise i probably would have got tackled but i just started talking to him about it and i, I you know i kind of thought he was going to be like get the hell away from me who is this guy we ended up talking for about half an hour about zombie democracy and uh you know the plot line so my three books started with exit zero the second book was nuke jersey and the third was zombie democracy which follows the first presidential election post zombie apocalypse and i told him you know what it was about and everything and he said you got to sign it for me and i said holy cow absolutely <laughs> that is so cool <laughs> awesome. now mark you uh yep. not only work uh for the walking dead you've done work storyboarding for stranger things and netflix uh yep. 
Comparing the two experiences, two different studios, uh, is there a big difference between the two? Probably the biggest difference is timeline. Uh, Stranger Things shoots many, many, many more days per episode than any of the Walking Dead shows. Uh, the original Walking Dead show uh, shoots everything in eight days. Uh, Fear and World Beyond have ten days. Yeah, but and that's Stranger actually has- post. It's because of the COVID that they've expanded from eight to ten, I believe. No, no, it, it was that way since they began. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then Stranger Things is 22 per episode. Wow. So gigantic difference on how much time you've got. So there's more lead-up time, more prep time because of that, that I can spend more time working on, on the storyboards. But other than that, my process of working with directors is the same. The fact that I'm a giant fan of both shows is the same. Um, it's, and- just, it's just time. Now, how much, uh, when it comes to either show, even other shows, uh, I assume you get the script. So how far uh, advance notice do you have to create the storyboards before it comes time for them to become reality and get put in front of a camera? Not much. Uh, We don't get scripts really in advance before prepping. So, for instance, on Fear... Like I said, we have uh, 10 days of shooting, which means we have 10 days of prep. And within that 10 days of prep, they're finishing the script. So day three or four is when I'll get the script. And then about a day after that is when I'll have my first meeting with the director and we go over the big stunt and effect scenes. We don't have time to storyboard the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. just the really big elements that, uh, that need to be done that's the hardest to explain or plan without. Yeah, so, like you mean like action sequences as opposed big to action, ju- you know, zombie hordes, uh, big decapitations, explosions, anything that's a big stunt or effect. Now, and, I'm and, sorry, and then I, I have to get that done before they start shooting. Do you also work with any of the visual effects people? They work off of my stuff. I don't usually work with them directly, but they can't work without mine. Okay, good, good. That's, I mean, that's, I did not know that. Uh, how the storyboard. Yeah, Mark, if I could, if I could jump in and just say, Mark is sort of the the invisible director, in my view. Yeah. Because I remember when I was in film school, I learned that uh, this genius artist named Saul Bass. Uh, actually storyboarded the uh, shower scene in Psycho. Wow. And, you know, if you, and I, so I've, you know, I remember years, it was more years ago than I like to think, but when I was in film school, I looked it up, I found it, and it, it blew me away. It was the exact shower scene, which, you know, Hitchcock, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, he uh, supervised him and, mm-hmm. you know, told him what he wanted. But it is amazing if you see Saul Bass's uh, storyboards for that. And ever since then, I've just thought, well, the storyboard artist is, you know, the unheralded director. Yeah. And I still feel that way today. And I've yeah. directed features myself. And I still feel that way that the storyboard artist is, you know, one of the critical links in in especially in 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 genre stuff that's exactly. very visual and storyboarding you know, very visual is 
yeah. critical, you know. And storyboarding, Mark, is not a new concept. This has been from way, way back from the beginning of film. People have been laying out on paper what the vision is before the, the camera comes out, correct? Yeah, I mean, it didn't really become uh, known until Disney was doing it for his features because he was the first one to do animated features. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but we didn't have dedicated story artists until relatively recently, you know, 40 years ago, you know, 30, 40 years ago, before it was production illustrators. And then they would do the sketches like you were talking about Saul Bass. He was the production illustrator uh, working under Hitchcock. And Hitchcock himself started as a story artist. So he knew what to do, and he did a lot of his own storyboards and rough sketches. And then the illustrators brought it to life and, and made it prettier. But a lot of our top directors started as story artists. And, Mark, I'm, and, I'm and curious. Into it. Can you, can you, when you watch a film or, or a TV show, can you tell whether it's heavily storyboarded or not yeah. just by watching it? No, I really can't. Uh, I, other than I just know if it's a big effect or stunt scene. I know that it was, yeah, because it because it has to be. Uh, it's it's a what you what you can tell is if you're working in production, if something is a major cluster and everyone's running around with a head cut off, they don't know what they're doing. Pretty much guarantee that wasn't storyboarded, right? <laughs> because if it's storyboarded yeah. early enough, everyone knows what they're doing. Like I said, it's the visual blueprint. Right. So it's you know, in in like a lot of low budget productions say, well, we can't afford a story artist. Whereas the opposite is true. It's cheaper to hire a story right. artist than it is right. not to have one because if you don't have a visual blueprint, you're going to have way too many miscommunications and missed opportunities and crew sitting around and waiting for someone to get something fixed or done that would have been brought up during the storyboarding process. Okay. So it's much cheaper to hire me than to have a crew sitting around at ten, right. twenty thousand dollars an hour waiting for something to get fixed or put together yeah. in the long run it saves you money uh, AMC yeah. owes you money <laughs> now my question oh, is oh, uh, in in the, in the credits uh you're not credited as, as a storyboarder you're actually what is a graphic artist or graphic no, I'm, I'm 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 storyboard artist that's that's how it's listed okay that is how it's listed okay mm -hmm. okay yeah now neil uh have you been a horror fan your whole life you know, it's funny because I'm not really a horror fan. I am a zombie and post-apocalyptic fan. I am very, very niche in my tastes. And I think it came from when I was a kid, I was terrified of zombie movies. Like, not even just a kid. Like, I'm talking probably into my 20s. That was the only thing that scared me. Like, nothing else scared me. Jump scare movies or slasher. Eh, it didn't even interest me. But anything with zombie, I was absolutely terrified at. And you kind of embrace what what does terrify you. And yeah. I, I remember actually in my life where the change occurred, where suddenly I started seeking out the genre to scare myself because it was the only thing. And, and uh, you know, I look very, very young and youthful, but I'm actually an old guy. And... Um, it wasn't that popular back when, you know, there was, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't, you know, Walking Dead was a graphic novel, which, you know, was hard to find. And before that, you know, there was Day by Day Armageddon and Dawn of the Dead. And, and well, those were not 
what? huge hits. You had to seek them out. Well, Dawn of the Dead, the original, was a hit. I mean, now it's more noted than when it was when it first came out, as so many movies are. Like, The Thing got completely trashed when it came out from John Carpenter. Now it, it's a it's a classic. It's, uh, it's absolutely cult, you know? And, it's people... <laughs> and what happened was, in my opinion, I mean, zombies, when Romero was doing Night, Dawn, Day, Land, and then when he sort of stopped, and then, you know, he passed away recently, the zombie genre sort of went to sleep. And it's The Walking Dead that revived it. Now, Jay, tell us about your experience uh, meeting and working with the great George Romero. He was uh, a pussycat. He was a wonderful person. He was he was an old, you know, stoner hippie from you know uh, Pittsburgh, and he was so laid back. And his wife at the time, Christine, was the same way. And I stayed at his place when I was working on this script with him, and uh, he taught me so much. He, you know, he, I mean, he. Like, I've always thought that uh, zombies are different from all the other horror archetypes because they really were a creation of the visual medium uh, of cinema. Um, because, and, I, and I, I, I often ask, you know, my, my friends in, in the literary field, in the book world, you know, name, name the epic archetypal novel of zombies. And... They really can't, no. you know, they can't, they can't name a, you know, a Dracula, uh, you know, mm. uh, or, or, you know, a, 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 a you know, Turn of the Screw yeah, or Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. All the other uh, horror archetypes. Be that's because it's a creation of the cinema and, and really Romero created everything. All, all the raw materials we're still working with. I think yes. Romero created, created, you know, I see, and maybe, maybe, maybe Mark has, you know, distilled some of this stuff visually, but I, I sometimes see images, you know, especially, especially, you know, in Nicotero directed uh, episodes. And of course, Mick Nicotero learned from Romero, oh, yeah. like a lot of us, you know, he, he was, he was mentored, Savini, he was Tom Savini, yeah, all of them. Right, right. And Tom Savini. And uh, but I just see, you know, images like this, the Romero stairs into the basement, which is to me one of the most chilling images, those Dutch angle stairs yeah. into the basement, you know, and you still see those. Um, and really, you know, the this whole uh, the whole Bernie Wrightson, you know, kind of zombie imagery it, it all comes from for me it all comes from Romero well, yeah I mean he is there's there's no argument he is the granddad of the modern day zombie or you can argue the zombie in general I mean he's, yeah he's yeah, yeah. I, I you know he the fact that he was such a cool person and so fun to be around and everything because I, I I thought he was gonna be like Orson Welles you know he was yeah. gonna be a, <laughs> and you know uh but you know, when I when I uh, first met him at the airport, when I was you know gonna work with him, he was he was lovely. He wanted to carry my suitcase. I was like, "Excuse me, <laughs> you, I'm you, not worthy. I'm not worthy." Oh, it's not gonna carry my suitcase. <laughs> you know? and, 
and you know he just takes me out he's got this old beat up mercedes you know and he throws it in the trunk and and he takes me out to his place and his place was like in sanibel island he used to have this really beautiful uh I've sort been of there. it's beautiful yeah, been there. Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah it's gorgeous and it was just so much fun it was so you know it, it was just it was it was my first deal in the business it was my first book in 1994 that he signed on to direct and we we never were able to be it was on the fast track for a while at new line cinema but we were never able to to get it to the screen and george always listed it as one of his you know i was proud that he he thought it was like one that got away that he was bummed out what a cool story now mark when it comes to the actual visual images that we see of the walkers in the mm-hmm. walking dead uh is there any input that is completely created in your mind or is it straight coming from the director to you and you putting it on the screen you know it's it's a mix of things because like i like i said you know it's my goal to always get the director's vision down but oftentimes the director hasn't thought of every shot or there are times that they'll give me an idea of what they want and then they go off to another meeting and say all right you you break this down or you figure something out you know like there was one episode and i believe it was in season 10 of the walking dead uh, nicotero was directing one of the episodes when the satellite comes down and falls in yeah. the forest and catches the whole forest on fire mm-hmm. so uh he was just going crazy with the amount of, of prep there was on that and so we had talked about we were going through one sequence when the uh, when the fire brigade comes in and they start putting it out and they get surrounded by the walkers that are in the forest. And he said, all right, I got to go to this other meeting. I'll be back in a little bit. Come up with at least two new ways to uh, to kill some walkers with the tools that they have here. We've never seen before. <laughs> and, and that's like, thank you. Yeah. What could be better than figuring out a new right. kill, right? <laughs> So, so I, mean, I did, and he came in, and, and he said, "Yep, that's great, love it." And 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 you know, and we move on. So you know, I'll watch episodes and I'll see shots of stuff like that. Now, <laughs> what awesome. the walkers look like—that's all Greg. I mean, he's an amazing illustrator himself, and KB Studios, mm-hmm. his his makeup effects, they do all the design and everything. Yeah. So then they'll send me illustrations or photos, so that my because I always want my storyboards to look just like what their finished pieces look like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think okay. I think Nicotero has become like an A director. Oh yeah. He's, he's amazing. He's, oh, yeah. He's brilliant. He is And he's fun to work with too. He's really yeah, fun to work with. Sweet yeah. guy. I, I mean I think it's kind of the Romero legacy, really. Well you know, let's take uh well, let's analyze two of the biggest Walking Dead directors. Okay. And Michael Satrozimus and Greg Nicotero. Yeah. Uh excellent directors. Right. Both are excellent, Brilliant. but you can tell uh, who directed which episode. And I've had other people say this as well. Uh, Nicotero's episodes tend to lean more into the gore, while Satrazimus's episodes are much more character-based Character. and driven. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Two definitely. different styles, both excellent. But well, and part of that comes both. down you to need, where where they come from. Yeah, because, you know, Mikey, starting in camera, he's all about the visual and the visual storytelling, whereas Nicotero 
is all about the gore having come, come up through the the makeup and, and visual effects. So exactly. you know, when you think about their background leading into it, it yeah. makes perfect sense. And and look, Greg is just as much of a fan as we are. I mean, mm -hmm. there are times when we're prepping yeah. things. Greg and I'll sit and watch ep old movies or old episodes of things, and and then he'll start telling me stories about how this was done in Creepshow and how this was done in this, and uh, you know. So and he's just like we are talking about it, just fanboying out. Uh, whereas Mikey is really to the point, you know, and, and he really gets into it. And he says, all right, I want to start with this shot and then move to this shot and then move to this shot. So, you know, their process is different. But that's also part of what makes it so much fun for me because I never get bored. It's always fun. I wow. love geeking out. I love the technicality of storytelling. I love every aspect of this. But then, you know, doing, you know, drawing gore all the time. Hard to beat. <laughs> it is. I mean, who, I mean, who can ask for a better job? Now, Neil, right. uh, I have stated. You know who else is a huge fanboy? Who is, is Kirkman? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. You know, like, like I, I, I mean, that that's. I'm sure there's a clue there to the success of this not only show and and spinoffs, but the genre itself is you know the 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 practitioners are all fans they're all you know they all come from fandom and it's from the original source material yeah. and that's straight from uh, kirkman and adler right. you know and, and neil, uh, neil i think you tapped into that like you know uh directly like a laser now if neil, they don't have the passion it's gonna show the yeah. fans are gonna be able to tell like right. um I met uh, Greg Nicotero, and I was shocked at, at how down to earth he is. And he was just a fan. He, I was at, uh, I had a booth at a con, and he was walking around before the con opened. I luckily was there early setting up, and he just wanted to see the art and the the displays and the T-shirts and all the stuff. And we ended up talking. And, you know, it's just a very approachable guy who is a fan. He's a horror fan. I mean, plain yeah. and simple. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people don't even know that he was in Day of the Dead. <laughs> and right. He was. I, I told my wife, I'm like, see that dude, the stoner, the guy that's smoking weed <laughs> over there in the corner? That's Nicotero. <laughs> yeah. now, now, Neil, I want to ask you a question. I have stated many times on this show that what really makes The Walking Dead such a great show is the characters, obviously. And the zombies are the backdrop to the character storytelling. Uh, you've described how zombies, you were afraid of them, and the way you confronted your fear is by pretty much working on them, writing books and confronting it. Do you agree that it could be, I don't know, something else to cause the apocalypse and to put the characters in the same situations and for the walking dead to be as good and the zombies are just a backdrop if not i want to hear your opinion no well it, it, again it comes down to that story and character driven content if you don't have a good story good characters good content you could have all the greatest special effects you want it's not going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, like I'm a zombie purist. I like uh, slow moving, shambling zombies that uh, just slowly creep up on you. I always felt that that's the 
the the creeping of death. It's eventually gonna get you. Right. <laughs> no matter what you do, no matter how much you prepare, you can you can stave it off for a while, but eventually it's gonna get everybody. Now, I do also like the fast zombies, which I always really don't see as zombies. I always see them more as the infected. Um, like twenty eight days. I I don't dislike those. I love them. Love them. Even the last remake of Dawn of the Dead, where the zombies are fast moving, and Black Summer. Holy cow, I am a huge fan of Black Summer. And that final episode of season one, oh my where God. all chaos breaks out. I won't give anything away. Oh, I think we're, we're was... past the point of spoilers. But, you know, I, I'm going to cut you off for one second. And I've said this before. Uh, the way, if I want to get somebody to start watching Black Summer, is I just show them the finale of season one. It's only 20 minutes long. Just show them that and they'll get hooked. Directing like I have never seen. I don't care whether it's a zombie movie or not. Brilliant. And it shows that this is a genre where there can always be something new. Always something new. I have never seen anything like that before. That was everything I wanted to see in World War Z. Yeah. Honestly, that final episode of season one. And but... Now, let's take it and put it into a different apocalypse, whether it's uh, a biological and people are just dead, or it's just an economic collapse, or and whatever, insert your apocalyptic fantasy here. If you have the good characters, good storyline, and it's unique, people will love it. I'll love it. It doesn't have to be zombies. Exactly. Well, you know, to your point on that, if you remember back when they were first launching The Walking Dead, in all the posters and promos and, and sizzles and everything, not one walker. Yeah. They never showed any zombies in any of the prep. It was all about the people and the story of the people. Now, Jay, do you agree that the success is that The Walking Dead has primarily stayed uh, with that foundation throughout its now 11-year history? Absolutely. I've always thought that... the not only are zombies different from other horror archetypes that, you know, they, they're a creation of the cinema, but they're, they're part of the environment. They're part of, they're, they're, they're not differentiated. Like, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, uh, the Wolfman, um, all these other archetypal horror icons have a personality. They, they're differentiated where, where zombies, Zombies are like acid rain, you know, zombies are like coronavirus, yeah. you know, and so it it enables storytellers to basically tell human stories that are character driven. And, and I think that's part of the success. I think that's part of the, the rise of the, of the zombie apocalypse in, in our modern culture. They, they're really stories of survival. In fact, I think Kirkman. If I'm not mistaken, I have it around here somewhere. The original comic book said uh, uh, survival horror. He called it survival horror. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. 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 And it feeds into, you know, everything that we fear. It, you know, it's an enemy that looks exactly like us. In fact, right. it could be someone that you know, your parent, your child, your neighbor, that right. suddenly within minutes is trying to kill you 
It's the collapse of everything that you think is a safety net. It's the no one is coming for you uh, syndrome, that there is no one that's going to save you when you are on your own. And everything is going to be a complex cascading uh, event of medical, uh, uh, utilities, um, uh, civil unrest. Everything is going to collapse and pretty damn quick. Kirkman used to, you know, tease me and, uh, you know, give me shit for being like the grad student. I would always go, well, well, the real deep subtext here is blah, blah, blah. And he hated that. He hated, <laughs> you know, Kirk was this like brilliant autodidact from Kentucky. He's, you know, I'm, I've always just been amazed at his ability to tell a story and to pull the rug out from under a reader you know that that is to me that's his true genius he can pull the rug out from under you you don't expect the thing to go when you turn that page and there's a splash page of the zombies whispering to each other that's classic kirkman yes you know he always knew how to like are you getting bored with you know with it with this storyline you getting bored with negan turn the page exactly <laughs> you know? and no. And I, I, I saw it, you know, up, up close, you know, but um, but that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's uh, when somebody dies and I've lost some people in COVID and I've thought about this a lot. I mentioned it to Kirkman years ago and he didn't disagree, but he said, well, you know, when somebody dies, that kills you a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a Jungian kind of subtext to that, that when somebody dies it it hurts so much you die a little bit yeah and i think i have always thought that the zombie mythology taps into that yes because you'll you'll see a lot of scenes in 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 many films and in in especially in the walking dead where someone we know and love has turned yeah yeah and it's it's heartbreaking it is it touches that's the human part of what the show's foundation is about now uh, I can tell you exactly in the TV show when I became a diehard fan. Now, uh, a lot of the the viewers that watch The Walking Dead today, they were too young to remember it when it came out in 2010. Right. It's brought along a brand new generation. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for the TV show, for me personally, when it cemented me becoming a diehard fan was the season two mid-season finale with Sophia coming out of that barn. Yeah. That was, for me, the big first shot. Amen. A- Amen. Yeah. I, that, I, I love that. Yeah. And I got that, into trouble because brilliant. the next day, I showed it to my uh, three-year-old kid. My wife was not happy. <laughs> my wife was not happy with me. I showed it to my little kids. I was so excited. I'm I like, totally look at this. This is so they awesome. They could handle it. It was... <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, uh, you know, horror porn. No. It, it, it was. It was character driven exactly. horror. Exactly. It was shame. It was. Yeah. Rich. There's different elements to it too, because you know, I was hooked from the very first episode because the storytelling characters in the first episode, the pilot, was amazing. But where I went, oh my god, this is so freaking cool, was the well walker when oh, that got yeah. ripped yeah. in half. The the vision it was it's almost visual comedy. It was so yeah. gross. Yeah, yeah. That was when I thought, oh my god, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen on TV. So it went from great storytelling 
to just awesomely cool on that one image. Exactly. Yeah. I that, mean, you, you know, you know that that's a fantastic uh, game. You know, uh, a parlor game to play because when when I became hooked was the first issue of the comic book, and you know, uh, you know, um, the sheriff wakes up from his coma, and all he can think about in the comic, and if you go back and check this out. It's true. All he can think about is finding his family, yeah, yeah. and and he finds a horse, and he heads back home to find find his family, and he he starts thinking about his son's difficult labor that almost killed his wife. Yeah, and and I remember when I was reading the comic book, I was like, "Wow, yeah. this is like." Cassavetes, yeah, <laughs> you and know, this is supposed to be a zombie. Like yeah, you're, yeah. Reading that, and you're like, "Wow, this is a zombie story." Exactly. Yeah. Now, Neil, when did you in the TV show was there a moment that really cemented you as a diehard fan of The Walking Dead? I, I would say there's a couple moments, um, and and there's a couple moments where I may have started to fade, and it re-energized my love. Um, in the, the first scene, when he finally arrives in Atlanta, I've watched that so many times of him on horseback going through the destroyed city of Atlanta. And you see that what had occurred and, and it's telling a story of the soldiers uh, in the barricades uh, that were overrun. And you can't quite know what the hell happened, but some thing bad went down yeah. there until he finally gets to that one corner and that that they've all kind of congregated for some reason they've never actually explained that i thought there was going to be some sort of callback as to like a flashback as to why all the walkers got uh herded into that one uh block uh but that was it you know that that and then that final glenn at the last the last minute saying, hey, you comfy in there? Yeah, um, like, hey, dumbass, or something like that. I yeah. remember when the series first started, how my heart would start racing at the music, yeah. at the beginning and the end. And it, it, you know, and then I would say later, when I was kind of fading on it, the, the governor came in. Mm. And his arc, the story arc of the governor, not the book, governor but the the television series governor was just so brilliant and especially after he had lost everything and been stripped away and then he gets into that family and then he gets into the community and suddenly his it he just reverts back to what he is in his core like you thought oh man this guy's totally changed and they no. it was just so natural how they did it as to he comes back and eventually he's the governor again. Exactly. There's no getting away from that. Now, now, Jay, you've written books on the governor and Woodbury. Uh, David Morrissey portrayal of the governor. I mean, brilliant, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. And to this That's day, and I don't think it, he will ever be topped. He is by far the most evil antagonist on the show. Do you agree? I agree, and it, I think it's because he's the most uh, three-dimensional. He's the most human. That's what makes him so scary. Yeah. In fact, I, I mean, I, you know, Robert has talked about that many times. 
I, I, you know, I've talked to Robert about that. You know, it's sort of like he's he's the you know negative image of the uh, you know the Andrew Lincoln character yeah, who right. you know you know basically goes toward the moral side and and tries to do the right thing and you know they're both doing it for the same reasons you know one guy's doing maybe evil things for the right reasons and the other guy's doing good things for the right reasons but they're both doing it for the right reasons and you know i've talked to david morsey about that you know he's like well you never you never consider yourself evil when you're playing a heavy you know you 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 always have your reasons you know exactly. you know why doing it you know he's protecting his community yeah to him yeah. it makes perfect <laughs> sense everything he's yeah. doing is it makes yeah. perfect sense and like his followers they you know the people that follow negan are know he's an evil guy in the beginning they know he's evil but they're following him for the protection right. and but the governor the people that were following him they had no idea no they to him yeah. He was the guy that helped right. them out, that's given right. them a community and safety. And right. they weren't looking at him saying, no. yeah, yeah, we know this guy is pure evil, yeah. but he's keeping us safe. They they didn't know. No, until he'll they shake your hand and was. stab you in the back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kirkman, again, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm done with my contract with him, so I don't need to, you know, uh, blow smoke up his ass anymore. <laughs> but I have to say, you know. I learned so much from him and and also, you know, he his his this this just grace note of having a a villain who's unable to kill his daughter who has turned. He can't bring himself to do it. Yeah. That made him so understandable to everybody. Everybody got that. And when and in the in the show, I thought it was brilliant. Uh and and Mark might have been part of this, but when when you know when Michonne you know finally puts the girl down, the the sound that comes out of David Morrissey, the agony, is you think, I've never heard anything like it in my life. Do you think that moment when Michonne killed Penny, I believe her name was Penny, mm -hmm. uh, you think it took him to a new level? of insanity for lack of a better term that's a great way to look at it i agree i think that's what happened i think you know that's what happened that was that was david morrissey's sort of motivation yeah. that was his central you know that's this is what's happening now yeah yeah I, I agree that took him to yeah. a whole new level now mark over the years uh with the walking dead what would you note has been uh besides the budget it growing and growing and it becoming this huge franchise. Uh, some of the biggest differences that you've seen over the years happen. Uh, I've been in uh, with the whole franchise for about three and a half years. And, and it, it's really just where the storylines are going. You know, the budgets really haven't changed uh, that much uh, from at least anything that's affected me. Um, it, it you know, we're getting a lot of new directors that mm -hmm. we hadn't had before. Yeah. Uh, over the last number of years, they've also changed where now it's 50% men and 50% women. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always women execs on the show uh, that are running everything. So it's, um, but now that it, that it's equal, you know, it's, it's, it's affected the storylines to some degree. Um, 
which I think is better. It's not yeah. all just just a, a macho way of looking yeah. at right. it. It's much more even and, and balanced across the board. You know, and, and you know, we've got a, a woman uh, showrunner. Angela is doing an amazing the, the job. Angela's yeah, I think she's doing brilliant, incredible. brilliant showrunner. And then every season, like on The Walking Dead, on on season ten, uh, the uh, you know the 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 lookbook that we got on that was really wanting to go more towards a western again. So you know the imagery uh, was very western esque and some David Lean images, some you know w- you know wide expanse landscape type things that was to uh, put together to help all the directors kind of have a somewhat consistent look. Because you know, every episode we have a different director, yeah. whereas there's returning directors, you know, uh, mostly uh, Mikey and Nicotero, they do the most episodes mm-hmm. uh, every season, which doesn't leave a whole lot of room for men, other new men coming in, because yeah. then you know, if they do four each or four or five each, that only leaves three right. other men, and then it's, you know, the, all the other ones are all women. Um but 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 I like how how it balances out nicely when we have so much uh, female influence now. Now you're yeah. you're currently working on Fear, correct? Yeah. Do you have to physically be in Texas, or can you do everything remotely? No, I've I've actually never been to the set in Texas. I okay. was due to go out there this summer, but COVID screwed everything up. Oh, yeah, on yeah, yeah. Um, it turned but, everything you know, upside I, down. Yeah, I helped. Uh, kind of pioneer long distance storyboarding over a decade ago. Awesome. So for me, it's, it's second nature and it's not much different than what we're doing right here. Mm-hmm. It's, but instead of looking at me, I just share my digital screen. Yeah. So as I'm drawing, they're seeing it just right. as if they were sitting right over my shoulder. Wow. You, yeah. you, I got to say, Mark, you have a cool ass job. <laughs> oh, it is cool. It is fun. I get to draw every day and see my, the things I love the most show up on the big screen i know that's just on, so. so awesome guys this hour has flown by uh just An quickly hour already? <laughs> yeah it's almost there we got to start saying goodbye neil uh just tell the viewers the name of your book so they know what to look for absolutely you can find me at businessisdead.com or at at Exit Zero Zombie, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything, at Exit Zero Zombie. The, the trilogy was called Exit Zero, Exit Zero, and then the uh, nonfiction was called Business is Dead, Resurrecting Entrepreneurship. Exactly, cool. Nice. And, and Jay, you have a lot of books too, and you said Road to Woodbury is the one that you're most proud of. What comes in second place for you? Well, the what I'm it's always like what you're working on presently, but <laughs> but I I am I have the amazing uh honor of working on one of Stan Lee's mm. uh unpublished uh superhero treatments yeah. and his agent after he passed away uh well it was before he passed away, we you know, he he approved me as the as the co-writer, co-author of it. And he was looking to start this particular idea in prose in a book. So, and then, you know, months later he passed and it was, you know, it was unbelievable. I thought it was dead, you know, and his agents like, no, 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 we're still going to do this. In fact, it's more valuable now than ever. So I'm happy to say that, that, uh, the first uh, book in the series, it's called the devil's quintet. It's called Stan Lee's the devil's quintet. 
I mean, and uh, it comes out in January from Macmillan, uh, from Tor Books, and uh, and I'm working on book two right now. Wow! And uh, it's you've it's had fantastic. the honor of working with such you know geniuses. I mean, Stan Lee is to superheroes and comics what Romero is to zombies. You right. know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And Mark, exactly. you're gonna continue. Uh, you know, you're uh, you're working through right now is your main focus uh, in your work just on Fear of the Walking Dead, or are you doing multiple projects? No, I'm doing multiple projects. I, I just wrapped up the new season of Dexter okay. uh, that comes out in November, and I've also been working on the new Vampire Academy TV series, and cool. there's another superhero show called Naomi that I started earlier today. It's, um, so there's always a lot of different shows uh, that You're I'm working on. You're a busy on. guy. Yeah, and then I produce a lot of courses on storyboarding for LinkedIn Learning, and uh, this is my latest book. is is this It's it's a memoir uh, of my own horror story when I was attacked, and my bullies followed me home and then attacked my entire family. Oh wow! And uh, wow. and I became the first person in the country to hold parents responsible for the actions of their kids. So I had the families awesome. Awesome. of my bullies arrested and thrown in jail. Good. So it's Good. it's that whole story of what I went through. Good. That definitely sounds interesting and a must-read. Guys, thank you so much to Jay, Mark, Neil. This has been an awesome hour. It has flown by. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking about, you know, our show, The Walking Dead, one of the shows that we all love. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of our viewers for tuning in. And until next time, stay walking. Good night, everybody.